Ducks fans. Are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast with your hosts, Mike Walters and Eddie Jones. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Mike Walters, along with my co-host, Eddie Jones, and we're going to wrap up the season for the Ducks, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> not really what we expected, Eddie. The uh, the Ducks went down in four games to San Jose. We uh, you know predicted maybe the Ducks would pull it off in six or seven, but alas, here we are. The season's over, so... We're going to kind of talk about, you know, kind of what, uh, you know, a little recap of the season, how it kind of went. It was kind of a crazy ride. We'll uh, talk about, obviously, the playoff series and the disappointment there. Uh, then plenty to talk about with the uh, exit interviews that came up this last week. And we'll discuss a little bit about, you know, what the Ducks do, you know, in the future uh, with free agency and the draft. So, uh, well, Eddie, um, not really where we wanted to be. Uh, I don't want to be depressed. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is it. <laughs> the season's over. So, um you know, all I can really say about this year, I guess, as opposed to the other seasons, is it started off crazy with, you know, Kessler and uh, Lindholm and Vatten and out, Getzloff was in and out, and then of course Eves ended up going out for a while. So I'd say the beginning of the season was really, you know, low expectations. I mean, so many people out, so many things going on. Um, you know, the Ducks they hung around basically in the beginning half of the season, and I mean that's kind of. You know how I remember this year, and then of course they turned it on late, um, and then again didn't make it in the playoffs. But what what do you think about the season as far as you know how it started and ended and everything? Yeah, because yeah. you know we were so upset. I think in the beginning half of the season, and there was a lot of pessimism that people thought that the Ducks weren't going to make the playoffs. And I think we were among that group at one point where we said, you know, multiple times we said if the Ducks don't win these next few games, they're pretty much out. You know, I mean they're so far behind they weren't playing well at the time the injuries were playing a huge role in that and it just didn't really seem like they were going to come back and then all of a sudden you know everybody does come back healthy John Gibson continues playing great and this team just went on a roll and they were able to grind their way back into second in the Pacific Division and everything looked great it was like a complete flip of the script it was went from disappointing to great you know the Ducks were able to claw their way back again into a playoff spot Getting into home ice advantage in the first round, everything looked amazing. A lot of people were thinking that the Ducks could be sleepers in the playoffs, that they were going to make a long run if everybody continued to play at the same level. And it went right back to being disappointing again when the playoffs <laughs> started because the Ducks' offense disappeared, defense was just a mess without Cam Fowler, and goaltending got hung out to dry in a playoff series where the Ducks got swept pretty handily by the San Jose Sharks. And the only real competitive game they played was game four, and they still couldn't finish in that game, and they only scored the one goal. Of course, a couple of them got disallowed, rightly so, but it, it's it's disappointing to see that. And, and the Ducks ended up getting swept, and nobody expected it. So now here we are sitting at the end of the season, disappointed again. I mean, there were some great <laughs> moments this year, and, and the, those kind of get lost, I think, after you know this disappointing exit from the postseason. Nobody expected the Ducks and Sharks series to end in four games. You know, I had picked Ducks in seven. I think you had picked Ducks in six. When I was on the Teal Tinted Glasses podcast, they had picked the Sharks in six. One of them had picked the Sharks in seven. So even even Sharks fans believed that this was going to be a long series. And it ends up, you know, surprising everybody. And, of course, Ducks fans aren't happy with how it, it, the outcome was. 
and that kind of spilled over into a lot of the the Carlisle out chance and a lot of things uh, with in regards to Bob Murray as well and Ryan Getzlaff, Corey Perry. I mean, this always happens when the Ducks lose, especially when they lose in a disappointing fashion like this. But it's crazy the roller coaster type season we had, where it started so low, went up near the end of the season, and the playoffs, it's right back down to where we started. Yeah, and and before we get into all the, uh, I guess the the post season craziness. Uh, obviously, you see the. Hashtag Carlisle out, uh, fire Carlisle, fire Murray. There's, <laughs> they're all over there. I mean, if you haven't seen them, then uh, you know you check out Twitter. They're all over the place. But um, as far as the season and like some of the stuff that happened, I mean, there were some good things. Uh, you know, obviously getting Henrique was good. You know, he scored 20 goals with the Ducks this year, uh, 36 points. We saw him on the third line. Uh, you know, Kase, he ended up getting 20 goals as well. Uh, the, the Ducks had some good scoring going for the top three lines, which we'll talk about you know a little bit more in depth about that too uh, with the, the exit interviews and whatnot in the future, how the Ducks need to kind of improve um, being a four-line four team. But as far as those three lines, you know, they came in and they did the scoring if the, the top uh, one and two weren't giving any, you know. So that part was good. You, um, you also had the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame with Korea and Solani. You got to see that during the season, even though that doesn't really affect you know the way that the outcome went. But that was another, at least a positive thing you could see. Uh, goaltending was great uh, between Gibson and Miller. And you know, for the people that dislike Carlisle and want him out and all that, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, like I said, in a little bit. But if you look at the season two, Eddie, um, I mean, he did keep the team together during the season. So I, I know. Yeah. A lot of people are mad, and don't get me wrong, I'm not happy either about the way it ended, and we'll we'll go into that too. But as far as you look at Carlisle, I mean, the team in the first half with all those injuries, you know, we we knew the Ducks weren't going to be in a playoff spot in the beginning, but they hung around. Carlisle kept them there. Then, like you said, everybody got healthy minus Eves, and Carlisle pushed them, you know, and they got all the way into second. So, I mean, there was some good stuff during the season. I think it's just the... It's not just that it ended, Eddie. I just think it's the way that it ended. Like you said, Sharks fans alike thought it was going to go six or seven games. And then the abrupt ending, I think that's what was disappointing. But, I mean, if you look at the season on a whole and you look at all the stuff that went on, the Ducks still had a pretty decent season. Yeah, they didn't end up in first in the Pacific. I know you and I hammered that home that we don't care, which we still don't care. I mean, they ended up in second. But, uh, you know, that's just, I think, what – it's kind of left a sour ta- uh, taste in everybody's mouth. It's just the abrupt finish um, to the playoffs for the Ducks. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I got I to gotta get to the comment because I'm sure everybody listening has <laughs> lit a fire under that comment and, and how Randy Carlisle got the Ducks back into, into it when everybody came back healthy. I think that, to some extent, is true. But the thing I always look for, I mean, when you look at the way the players played and everything, uh, you can kind of credit that a bit to the system that the Ducks have in place, I guess, you know, to the Ducks being successful. For me, what I look at is, is the one thing that, as a coach, you really can't have an impact on, and that's goaltending. And uh, You know, there's not much he can do for setting up a system. Maybe obviously, putting some better defense in front of John Gibson would help, but if you look at what the Ducks would have done with just even above-average goaltending, they would have been a team in the bottom 10, if not close to the bottom 5 in their point yep. pace for the for the entire yep. season. They would have been a lottery team without the, the play of John Gibson this year. Uh, yep. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And, and again, you know, we talk about Randy Carlisle getting the benefit of the doubt from the injuries. 
he's also getting bailed out heavily, as, as pretty much as everybody is, by John Gibson and, to some extent, Ryan Miller as well. Because without those two, and, and obviously without John Gibson, this is a team that easily misses the playoffs. Because, I mean, when you look at the, the when everybody was out, John Gibson was the guy helping win these tight games. He was running the ship. And, of course, bringing in Adam Henrique help and having everybody back healthy when they were, getting that third line scoring when the first line was slumping, and then when that line disappeared, you had the first line going at times, and eventually, you know, Kessler, Coglano, and Silverberg kicked it into gear. But the, the real steady thing that was always consistent all year was John Gibson. And, and really, in my opinion, that's the only reason the Ducks season looks somewhat salvageable and you can maybe... You know, that's why some people are putting a positive spin on Randy Carlisle and what he was able to do for this team. In my opinion, he did nothing. And it was it was all John Gibson. It, it, because without him, this team, like I already said, is, is a team that would have easily missed the playoffs. And then we're looking at maybe, you know, a, a no doubter and Randy Carlisle getting fired. Because, you know, if, if, if they had have finished where they would have been projected to finish with average goaltending, I don't think there's any way he would have stuck around. I mean, if this is a lottery team... Uh, do you see any way that Carla would have been back this year? I don't. I, I don't see how it would have been possible I, with all the expectations that were put on this team, even despite the injuries. Yeah, I mean, you look at <clears throat> exactly what you're talking about, and I, I think you just go back to Murray's quote. Uh, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something about goaltending, you know, covers up a lot of crap or something like that to that effect he was talking about. And yeah, he said good I, goaltending you know, tends to cover up a lot of crap. <laughs> yeah, okay, so it was what it was. I couldn't quite remember. I wasn't sure. Uh, but, I, I, you know, that's what I thought, too. Um, I agree with you. When, you know, the people out there that are saying, oh, keep Carlisle, you know, I, I – I have mixed feelings. I, I feel as you do. I think he did keep the team together in the beginning of the season when all the injuries and all that. But as yeah. far as the season as a whole, I agree with you. I think the Ducks leaned on Gibson super heavily. Uh, they leaned on Miller at times too, uh, especially also down the stretch too, as we saw at the, at the end of the season. So I definitely think that the goaltending bailed him out. And I think – that's the big issue. Uh, we can kind of talk about you know those exit interviews and all the news that came out of that day. The the big news out of that that you know that everybody went you know crazy on was that Carlisle was coming back, and I agree with you. I think if for some reason uh, if Gibson was gone or Gibson had a bad year or he was hurt or whatever, and and the, the goaltending wasn't there for whatever the reason was, I agree with you. I think if the Ducks finished you know down on the bottom. Uh, of the Pacific, they didn't make it. They weren't close. I don't think you bring them back, you know. And I still don't think you bring them back. I, I think the biggest thing, and I know some fans out there have talked about this. You and I have talked about this. Is one thing with Murray that's that's kind of annoying is that you know when something goes wrong or something doesn't go right, he doesn't like to to admit that he went you know with a bad choice. So I think part of it, Eddie, is he you know doesn't want to get rid of Carlisle because then it makes him look bad. So he turns around and gets rid of Trent Yanni, which we just heard that news too, which I kind of wasn't surprised. Although actually, I, let me rephrase that. They didn't get rid of Trent Yanni. They just didn't bring him back. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't fired. Let me clarify that. But I think that that was kind of one of the subtle moves. But, I mean, don't you kind of feel that way too, Eddie, that like maybe with Murray it's, uh, you know, I, know, I don't want to be wrong, but I'm going to try and make some other adjustments. And there's other comments we'll get to as well. Yeah, I, I think so. Because, you know, if he does – 
fire Carlisle, that doesn't look great on him because, you know, you went from having Bruce Boudreaux, or sorry, having Randy Carlisle, firing and bringing in Bruce Boudreaux, and then firing him and bringing back Randy Carlisle. And then if you fire Randy Carlisle, you know, a couple seasons after hiring him again, that does not look great on you. I mean, it doesn't look great, great on him right now, keeping him either way. He looks bad no matter what, but I think he looks a lot worse firing Randy Carlisle. You know, the fans would love it, but on his image and his ability to, to find the right guy and hire the right coach, it doesn't look great on him because, you know, the what he said, he, he's made comments in both the articles that I've read and from Mike Coventry and Eric Stevens that he has a lot of confidence in uh, Randy Carlisle and, and what he can do next season. But then you hear things like, you know, he wants to completely change the style of his team. He wants to have a faster team. He was disappointed at the, the fact that the fourth line only played about five to seven minutes. He thinks they should play 10 uh, to 14 minutes. And these are all true things. But, you know, if you're sitting here saying you have confidence in your coach, and then you say those things along with the, the quote that we already mentioned, saying good goaltending tends to cover up a lot of crap. You know, how do, how can you say you have confidence in your coach when you're also saying these things and basically pit, nitpicking at different things that were wrong with his system? They are true, but, you know, how do you have confidence then if you find all these holes and what your coach is doing? That That's what amazes me. And, again, that's where I think it backs up your point a bit that, uh, he, you know, as a GM, you never want to admit you're wrong, whether it's with, us, uh, you know, hiring a coach, getting a player, drafting a certain guy. I, again, I think that's one of the reasons Nick Ritchie is maybe still around because they don't want to admit they, they messed up on that pick, which is understandable. We see that across the league, you know, teams love to hold on to these guys just hoping and hoping and hoping that they're eventually going to get back to what we, the, that you expected them. Yeah, Neil Akapov is a perfect example in Edmonton. They held on to him forever just hoping that he was going to get somewhat close to what they expected when they drafted him first overall. And eventually they just felt it was time to move on. And, you know, they had to admit their mistakes. They had to admit that they're wrong. That was a weak draft, but, you know, there was other players available. <clears throat> Alex Galchenyuk was one of them that you could have drafted over him at the time, and it would have worked out better for the Oilers. So, yeah, I, I think there's some instance to that, but it's just the, the comments are just so interesting to me because some of them are just ridiculous. And then the others, like I said, they just contradict each other. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest problem for everybody out there is looking at improving this team. <laughs> Some of those comments, you know, he's saying that the team needs to be faster. They got to play a more speed game. Uh, you know, Perry's got to be quicker. But honestly, I mean, I don't really know how they're going to do a lot of changes, Eddie, because you have the same coach. You have the big three tied up in their contracts. We will talk a little bit about you know, the, the offseason, who they got to bring back. We'll, we'll run some numbers and whatnot. But um, other than really shuffling the lineup, I mean, there's not a lot to do. I mean, and we talked about the lineup a little bit throughout the season. Um, uh, of course, the the good news uh, from the exit interviews is that Patrick Eves, um, well, I guess the little bad news was he was coming back and then he, he, he had some shoulder issues. He had to have surgery. But the good news is it sounds like he's going to be back in October, either at the beginning of the season or, or shortly thereafter. So, that's the good news. So taking that part of it and him coming back, I think the way that you can adjust the speed game is you put uh, Eves on the top line. You put him with uh, Getzloff and Raquel. Uh, you, that'll make it a little bit faster on that line. Uh, if you keep the Kessler line together, then maybe you have Casse, uh, Henrique, and Perry on the third line, and then you bump Richie down to the fourth line. I mean, maybe that's a way that you can do something with the personnel as it is right now. 
Um, and we can get into trades and things in the free agency towards the end of the show. But as far as what the Ducks have right now, if they're not going to do any moves, there's really not a lot of options, Eddie, for the Ducks to change this lineup. I mean, Perry can't just get faster. I mean, that's yeah. not really his game. His game is to get in front of the net, get under the skin of the, the opposing goalie and the defenseman, and do all that kind of stuff. And then, I, I mean, it's it just blows my mind, those comments. And the same wow. thing with Carlisle is, well, you have faith in Carlisle. And then you want this team to be more speed, and you also want to play a fourth line, but the Ducks don't play a fourth line. We've known this for years. They play the top nine, which is a problem. You look at these playoff teams, and why do they do well? They roll four lines. And it it doesn't mean the fourth line is a a great line, but it's something that uh, you had talked about is that you have a 3A and a 3B kind of uh, situation with a lot of these playoff teams. And the the Ducks don't do that. And so – where do they go? I mean, you keep the same coach. You you don't have a lot of personnel that you can change. Like I said, well, there's some options we'll get to a little bit later in the show. But, I, I mean, I'm with you. It's bizarre to me, his comments. Uh, you know, you're trying to put a, a, a square peg in a round hole. I, I just don't know how it's going to work. Yeah. I mean, th- that those comments about Perry are just plain ridiculous, saying he's got to – you know, he's got to buy into playing fast. We have a few more than him that have to buy into playing fast. I mean, it just doesn't happen. I mean, you can have a fast system, which can make players, uh, in theory, it can make players faster because you're playing a faster style of hockey. But they're not. it's not going to make them faster, and it's not going to make this team faster because they don't have the personnel. I think they have some players who could fit a system like that. Ryan Getzlaff can pretty much fit in any system. And then you've got some quicker players who can move the puck up in Ricard Raquel, Andre Kasha, Jakob Silverberg, Andrew Cogliano, Adam Henrique, all those types of guys. They, I think they can fit a system like that. You know, the like you said, the, the square pegs and round holes type of guys are Corey Perry and Nick Ritchie, guys that uh, are big, heavier guys that might not necessarily fit that system. But I feel like, you know, every team kind of has those guys and you know, if you're playing a faster system, you've got enough players who fit that system. You can carry those guys along, and it doesn't get noticed as much. But I just don't see how they're going to change. I, I mean, honestly, it doesn't. You know, if you've got the same coach in here, I don't understand all, how all of a sudden he's going to have the ability to put in a, a fast system in place and change the way this team is going to play. Especially like you said, if you're not going to go out and really change much there isn't much they can do the top nine is pretty much set you've got Patrick Eves who's going to be in addition to this lineup he doesn't make the team faster but you've got him who's going to come into the lineup he's going to jump right up into the top six you would assume probably playing with Ryan Getzlaff and Ricard Raquel the Kessler line doesn't seem like it's ever going to get broken up which you would have them together and then Corey Perry probably sluts down with Adam Henrique and Andre Kasha and then you have a fourth line that constitutes of some, something around Nick Ritchie, Derek Grant, JT Brown if he comes back, those types of guys down there and, and maybe you see some of the kids come up uh, depending on how how often that fourth line plays if you got uh, Max Jones, Sam Steele and Troy Terry all eligible to play for San Diego next year. I don't know. I honestly don't know. And, and, and again, some of the comments he also had, like saying, uh, are Logan Couture and Pavelski really fast skaters? No. They're good hockey players, but if your team plays fast, you can make players faster. To some extent, that's true. But that usually happens. You make a team faster by going out and getting a different coach who can bring a different perspective in here and has a style that, that is generally just a faster style. And Car- I don't see how Kyle is going to do that. I mean, if he had that in his arsenal... Would you not pull that out in a game game four when you're down 3-0 in a series against a team that has shown they are faster than you and they play a style that has completely dominated the style that the Ducks put into place? That would be the time 
to pull that out and show that you have that in your arsenal and he didn't which makes me believe that he doesn't have the ability to do that so i just don't i honestly just don't know how things are going to change and and you know we've heard from him before saying he he thinks he sometimes can go out and just get fast players carl Hagelin was an example of just getting a fast player and hoping you can just be a fast team and it didn't work out for the ducks he didn't have a good time in anaheim you know he ends up getting traded to pittsburgh for david perron david perron had a, a great time when he was with a duck with the ducks but then carl Hagelin goes in and fits fits well in a fast system in the penguins and ends up winning a stanley cup so I don't know. And and then, you know, his comments from Mike Coppinger's article where he says the plan doesn't necessarily involve acquiring quicker players, saying that Murray appointed to the attacking style the Sharks used and says that he would like to see the Ducks skate in a similar fashion. It's all nice to sit here and say that you, you want to see them do that, but I don't know how they're going to do that when you still have the head coach behind the bench and all you did was let go the assistant coach in charge of defense and penalty kill. You know, that could change some that could change some things for sure, but it's not gonna it's not gonna completely change the way this team plays. Yeah, and I think that's where everybody's concerned. And uh, you know, going back to that Shark series, because you touched on it a little bit, the the two things that irritated me most, I mean I know a lot of people saw it because I know we posted it on the Ducks and Bucks Twitter was the whole thing about the lineup the last day. I mean you're right. They he went the same lineup in Game 3. I mean, they, they played a much better game in Game 4, but he didn't really make a whole lot of changes on anything. I mean, he like you said, he didn't he didn't like go, okay, you know, maybe I'll throw in Terry in this game, uh, you know, get another speed guy in there, or maybe I'll switch some people around or something. I mean, he, he didn't do much. <clears throat> I mean, they obviously they played a lot better than that 8-1 to one shellacking that they had, but, I mean, there was no adjustments at all. I mean, until, you know, the third period when he started to mix some of the lines up a little bit. But, I mean, I think that's the concern. I mean, we, you know, you and I talked about that before, about, like, the in-game changes, that Carlisle doesn't do a lot of that. Um, so, you know, and obviously there were some unfortunate breaks in Game 4. I mean, Getzloff, it's one goal. It's, you know, basically like a tenth of a second too late. The, the stupid offsides where, you know, unfortunately didn't bring the puck across the blue line. I mean, maybe the Ducks force overtime, win that game, whatever. But... But there, there just didn't seem like any desire to try to do anything to make the team faster in Game 4. Like you said, when that's the chance, you could have gone for broke. You could have put in somebody. You could have started the game with different, a different line and all that. We talked about nothing. None of that happened. So that part frustrated me. And then, of course, the other part is about going out and getting players. And you and I talked about this. You know, Murray does very well at the draft. Uh, when it comes to trade deadlines, like whatever. And the thing that it, it came back and it did hurt the Ducks was Evander Kane. I mean, especially in a couple of the early games. And we, you and I said this. We said, okay, we were happy that he didn't sell the farm to go and get certain players. Obviously, we didn't want to mortgage the future and that whole you know rhetoric that we talked about. But if you know that these other teams, like the, the Kings and the Sharks, are going out to get these certain players, like... I mean, you got to do something. And instead, they don't go get Kane. And, I mean, he literally comes back to bite you in the playoffs. And that's the thing that's, I think, worrisome going forward, too, is like, well, are the Ducks going to go out and get big players? And and we'll talk about the numbers and stuff in a little bit. And there's a lot of fan questions, of course, concerned about the contracts of the big three, which we can go into in just a second here. But I think that's the worry, Eddie, is that you're not going to be able to go out and get a big-name player. And what kind of adjustments are you going to do in the lineup other than bringing up the young guys uh, from San Diego or some of the other minor leagues? Yeah, and I think there's no question that this lineup is a skilled lineup. I mean, they've got yes. the talent up and down the lineup. When they're fully healthy, you've got 
a very good top nine that can compete with with some of the best in the National Hockey League. You got, you got some great center depth in Getzlaff, Kessler, and Henrik, and hopefully Kessler is a lot healthier at the beginning of next year than he was at the end of this year. And you've got a very good top four on your end on your blue line in Lindholm, Manson, and Fowler and Montour, and then obviously a Vesna caliber goaltender in John Gibson and a, and a very good backup in Ryan Miller. So you've got good players and you've got a good team here, and and that can get you by in a lot of things and, and kind of mask a lot of things, just as as uh, Murray said that goaltending covers up a lot of crap. Well, this is still a good team. I mean, this is a team even if you don't change the style and you go in with with the lineup, and if everybody does stay relatively healthy throughout the the rest of the season, they probably still make the playoffs and do pretty well but again you're gonna lose games where on paper you are a more skilled team but you're gonna lose games because you're playing a style that's just outdated in the national hockey league you're just you're gonna get outskated by a lot of teams and they might not they might not necessarily be more skilled than you you're just playing a style that really doesn't work anymore and it doesn't help the ducks offensively as we saw that they were near the bottom half of the league or near the bottom third of the league in goal scoring this year because they couldn't get anything going. They were getting outskated on a regular basis by a lot of teams. And we saw on occasion, we always talked about, uh, a big talking point was how the Ducks played down to a lot of teams yes. this year. You know, they were more skilled than those teams, but the system they play, they got outskated, they got outworked, and they couldn't get any chances going. I mean, the one that always comes back to me is because it was, it was such a disappointing game and a boring game to watch was the game against Detroit. I think it was the first game they had gone and played at Little Caesars, Caesars Arena where most of the guys were back healthy. The Ducks ended up losing that game, I think, 2-1. They couldn't get anything going. The goaltending for Detroit wasn't great that game. The Ducks just couldn't get any quality chances, and there was multiple times we saw that through games 1, 2, 3, and even 4 in the playoffs against San Jose. They couldn't get anything going. They scored four goals in that series. I mean, they have enough talent in their lineup to play well offensive, offensively, and again, that also creeps into the power play a bit as well because we've wondered for years now, uh, since the Ducks had that the top-rated power play when Paul McLean was here, why why can't this team figure things out? They've got guys like Ryan Getzlaff, Corey Perry, Ricard Raquel, Fowler, Montour, all these types of guys, Adam Henrique, on their first and second unit on the power play, but they routinely finish near the, the bottom third of the league. So it comes down to the system you're playing. You know, if they can find a system that works and they can play faster and they can start competing with these teams, this is going to be a scary team for a couple of seasons. But keeping Randy Carlisle around, I just don't see it happening. And again, like you said, there's not a lot of room to add guys into the lineup because you've got these contracts that you're kind of stuck in and you've got a top nine that's pretty much set. You know, you maybe you can go out and add... A, uh, a, a like a fourth line forward. I still think they do need to bring in some somebody to play on that bottom pairing, defense pairing. I don't think bringing up the kids and just hoping they work is the best idea because it didn't work this year. You know, I don't think it's going to be the best bet to to go to at the beginning of next season. So it's tough, and I mean, you have some kids in the system that maybe you can promote, and maybe the only other thing you can do is to look at some trades. But if you do go out and try and get a max patch ready. Or anybody that any of the big names available that are going to be up and, and open for trade at the draft, you're going to have to give up a roster player in return, whether it be Andre Cash or Jakob Silverberg or or anybody, you uh, Nick Ritchie or anything like that. You're going to have to to give up a guy that's currently in your top nine to get a guy that can fit in there. So I, I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting offseason. I don't think there's going to be big things that happens for the Ducks, but there's a lot of different avenues they can go to change the way this team's going to look. 
Yeah, and I mean, with that, you know, give just a couple quick updates and then we'll kind of get into the fan questions because it ties into the whole thing you're talking about as far as we'll look at, you know, the cap and and the players that are coming and going. And uh, obviously a lot of uh, people have uh, concerns and questions that we'll get to. So the things that we do know with the team, that is, we do know that uh, Ryan Kessler is getting better. On the exit interview day, he said he lost 20 pounds. He plans to stay at that lower weight. He should be good to go for next season. So there's there's the positive there. We also know that Adam Henrique, he wants to stay even longer than next season. So there's talks about that. And we'll go into how that factors in with you know, the monetary stuff. Um, you know, Cam Fowler looks like he's going to be good to go next year, too. The kind of the reoccurring theme is it looks like the team is not going to have, you know, other than Eves having that one surgery, there's going to be no major surgeries in the offseason that we know of. And um, as far as Bieksa, he's the one that looks like he's going to be out. So he's going to be gone. I know a lot of people are clapping and, and excited about that. I mean, the big thing I, I, I for me, you know, I mean, it, it's a it's a game, you know, and obviously, you know, everyone has their careers and stuff. Um, I don't dislike the guy. I, I just I don't like the price tag. That's my biggest thing. So I think that's the part that helps. So with some of those updates and what's going on, we look at the team and we look at the salary cap. Eddie and I looked at it before the show trying to do some math here and obviously, you know, looking at cap friendly and whatnot. So in, uh, I forgot to mention also, uh, you know, Francois is obviously not coming back too. It was his last uh, season. I mean, unless he changes his mind, but so you've got uh, Bieksa and Boschman out. That's, you know, 5 million coming off the cap. And then uh, the decision, uh, I think, which Eddie and I kind of harped on is about this fourth line and what the Ducks are going to do. Well, you've got Vermet, Kelly, Brown, and Chimera all to look at. You have a little over 5 million there if you don't bring them back. Um, so you have close to 10 million uh, that could be, you know, 10, 11 million that could be added. Obviously, there's a, a little bit of, of uh, that's going to get cut because Fowler's getting a $2.5 uh, million raise and Manson's getting a little over $3 million raise. So all that math and all that stuff put together, if your brain's not fried yet, it's going to be probably, you know, between eight and nine million that the Ducks are going to have to look at. Uh, and. It's tough, Eddie, because some of these fan questions that we had, uh, some of them on, you know, uh, Twitter is, you know, Kyle asks, well, what about the big three? Uh, obviously, he's talking about Perry, uh, Getzloff, and, and Kessler. What do you do? Uh, you know, someone else said, well, are, are they going to buy out Perry? Um, you know, there was a couple concerns about that. Uh, David asked, you know, does he get moved in any type of way on Facebook? So kind of tie all those together, uh, some of those questions. But that's what kind of hinders this whole situation too, Eddie, is you've got those three guys. I really doubt Perry gets traded. Um, obviously, he has no movement clause, just like Getzloff and Kessler do. Uh, can you go the buyout route? Yeah, you could try and go the buyout route. But, I mean, you know, Perry wasn't great, but he wasn't that bad. And I think that's the problem I, I see is, I mean, he had 17 goals. I know it's not 25, it's not 30, it's not 40. I, I know the expectation's not there of where he they weren't met at least and and he didn't play a consistent game we saw him some games going in towards the goalie and and getting irritated and doing all that but other times he didn't so i i think the issue here is you have eight to nine million to to play with this summer which is not a lot and then you've got some rfas you got to look at obviously uh, richie and Casse. you want to bring those guys back hello brandon montour of course so it's a tough spot that the Ducks are in with, you know, how to improve this team 
with the type of funds and then obviously the big contracts that are tied up, Eddie, it's it's there's not a whole lot that the Ducks can do, unfortunately, uh, other than trading, you know, draft picks and things like that uh, when, you know, obviously the draft comes up. Yeah, uh, for the buyout and the way it would work if you bought out Corey Perry, how his cap hit would be distributed throughout the, the remaining six years of his contract, it's it's just not worth it. I mean, you've got, they bought him out, say, at the end, uh, at, in the offseason right now. You'd have a, a four just over $4 million buyout cap hit for this season coming up, which would eat up. You know, then you've only got about $5 million to work with after you buy him out. You know, you're moving out a 50-point guy off your roster. He's still going to take $4 million of your cap hit. And now you've only got $5 million to work with to try to replace that and then add more to your team. Then the next season after that, it's about $2.5 million. Then for the third season, and this is where it, it's a big issue for the Ducks because the third season, which is 2020-2021, after that, that his cap hit for that year of his buyout is $6.68 million. Ouch. Now that's a lot. That's a lot. But the problem <laughs> is you're looking at having to re-sign uh, the season before that, uh, Adam Henrique possibly, Jakob Silverberg, and the big one is John Gibson. Yep. You know, he's going to get a raise. Uh, if you want to bring Jakob Silverberger back, you would assume he probably gets a little bit more than he's making right now. Adam Henrique possibly gets around the same, if not a little bit more, depending if he can re-sign or not. But you've got a guy who's not even playing on your roster who you're paying that season $6.6 million, who is preventing you from maybe re-signing one of those guys. And then from there on, it's only just over $2 million for the last three seasons of his contract. But I, I don't understand. I mean, what's the point, really, right? If you're doing right. that, you're going to buy him out to, to have basically his cap hit still hurt this team when you could have him on the roster. And yeah, it sucks you're paying him you know $8.6 million, but at least he's still putting up 50 points on your team and you're paying him money to do that. I mean, you know, it, it would make no sense to, to, to buy him out and still pay such a hefty price for him to put up points against you, essentially, on a different team. So for, for Corey Perry, I don't see him getting bought out. Maybe he gets traded, but again, I already mentioned this before on this show. If if he gets traded, it essentially kicks off a rebuild for the Ducks. I mean, you're not yep. going to get anything significant in return, I don't think, for Corey Perry. You know, we we saw some reports saying there would be considerable interest if if Ryan Getzlaff or Corey Perry were available for trade, but I don't think the assets that you're going to get back are going to be anything that helps this team immediately. It'd be signaling a rebuild, and you'd be looking at uh, guys like Ryan Kessler and, and Ryan Getzlaff as guys who'd be potential to move out the door right after Corey Perry. So I don't think that's the best direction for the Ducks. I don't see it happening, but even with him uh, still in the team, like you said, you've got about eight, eight or $9 million to work with. It's enough to go out and, and add some pieces to make this team. It gives you some freedom, I guess, to make a trade and maybe acquire a guy with a bigger cap hit. But again, you have to take into consideration, you know, of course, Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg and having to sign them at the end of, of two seasons from now. But the big one for me, again, is John Gibson. He's only making $2.3 million right now. You can bet there's going to be a significant raise on that when his contract is up. So you got to take that into consideration. Any deal I feel like the Ducks sign, if they go out and get a free agent or they even they go out and trade for somebody, it's going to be a guy that only has about a year or two left on his contract so that it ends around the same time they have to re-sign John Gibson. It, it, any guy any guy they bring in or sign, that contract shouldn't go over 
that period and, and move into the next year where it does interfere with how much money you have left to sign John Gibson because that could be a huge issue for them. Yes, John Gibson's an RFA, so that gives you a little bit of freedom there to maybe move out a guy you have that time, but you don't want to have to be doing that last minute and hoping that you can get that done you know, in the same offseason where you're hoping to get him signed. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a huge part when you're looking at if you go on cap friendly and you you know look at the Ducks uh, lineup here and you look at the contracts and what's going on, um, you got to look ahead. I mean, obviously, you look at Richie and, and Kase coming up. Um, you look at Montour. That's all stuff that's got to be addressed now. But like you said, Gibson's right there on the horizon. And then you know we've had some fan questions too that they're asking about. You know, um, uh, we have uh, Chase, he asks about Henrique, Silverberg, and Gibson. And, you know, can the Ducks get all three, basically? And he also talks about, as I mentioned, um, you know, Montour and Richie and whatnot. So he asked a couple of those questions on Twitter. I, I think that the Ducks can keep all three of those guys. I, I really do. But like you said, if they're going to bring in anybody else, it's got to be something short-term, something that's not going to cost too much money. And I think that's where the Ducks are kind of uh, stuck right now. The only thing I know you and I talked about this is if the Ducks do want to try and get faster and, and someone you can move out, it's not going to move a lot of money, but someone you could try and move is Nick Ritchie. I mean, if you look you look at this stuff, you know, a lot of people are taking aim at Corey Perry, and I totally get it. I mean, he's not performed to where he's been. But the problem is the math does not support a buyout of Corey Perry. And then, yeah. like you said, you're going to pay him $4 million one year and $6 million the last year. He's going to be on another team scoring goals against you because he's going to get picked up if you buy him out. I mean, yeah. come on. Somebody's going to pick him up. Maybe he will not at an $8 million price tag, but he wouldn't need it. He's already getting four. He could go to another team and take two or three yeah. and then come back and bite us. So I highly doubt that happens. I, you know, Trade, I don't see that either. So – to me, you got to look at other players, and one of them I look at is Richie. I mean, if you want this team to get faster, uh, you know, if Eves comes back like you and I talked about, goes with Getzloff and, and Raquel because they have pretty good chemistry, Perry goes to the third line, that leaves Richie on the fourth line. So, I mean, and then there's still interest out there in Richie. I mean, he didn't have a terrible season. He had 10 goals, but again, he's not meeting the expectations. You know, we thought, oh, he could be, you know, a 20, 30-goal scorer, but he's clearly not. That's one guy maybe the Ducks move out. I mean, there's not a whole lot of other room as far as, you know, players getting traded and whatnot. You have some of the ones coming off, like we said. Obviously, BX is a big contract. But that's one name that I would really keep an eye on because unless they were able to trade Perry for some reason, which I still doubt, um, I don't see a whole lot of movement trade-wise, at least for rostered players, Eddie. Yeah, and to to hit on the first part of the question and, and talking about if they can re-sign Gibson – Silfberg and Adam Henrique. I think a lot of that just depends on what they do this season in the off season and, and next year because there's not a lot of money coming off. Really, there's almost nothing at all other than this season. The next time you see money come off is when we do have to re-sign Adam Henrique and Jakob Silfberg because you know, you've got all these guys up at the end of this year in Antoine Vermette, Chris Kelly, JT Brown, Jason Chimera. Nick Ritchie, Andre Cassidy, Derek Grant, and then the guys you mentioned on defense, BX of Oshman, Montu, and Walensky. You know, the only money you see come up off the books later is you see Red Alberas, 700K come off. Uh, Corbinian Holzer's 900K comes off. You've got to re-sign Marcus Patterson at the same time there. Not like he's going to command a lot, but that's it. I mean, other than that, I mean, you've got the same money on the board. And you've got whoever you sign uh, this season or trade for, if there is anybody, if it's a longer-term deal. 
And, and then you've got that eight or nine million dollars to work with, like I said. And if any of these guys are going to get raises, and you would assume John Gibson is going to get a raise, I would have to look at comparable goaltenders to see what they're making. But I would assume it would have to be around at least six million if he continues to play the way he's playing right now, if not more. And that's a huge. I mean, that's a huge chunk of of what uh, you you have left. I mean, that's a uh, about a four million dollar raise on what he's making. You know, he does deserve it. But without any money coming off the books, unless you try and dump some salary here or there and trade some guys, you know, where where's that freedom going to come from? I think realistically when they get to that point, they might only be able to sign two of these guys. Um, and we might see a trade involving uh, one of Jakob Silverberg, Adam Henrique down the road if they don't think they, they can sign them. You know, a deadline type deal, if the, depending on how the Ducks are doing, or you move them earlier on like we saw with Sammy Vatanen in the regular season, and try and get some piece back that uh, at least either helps you in the long term or is a, is a little bit of a, a, a longer-term deal so that you have that guy on the books for longer and it doesn't hurt your ability to sign the other two. That's what I could see. But other than that, I mean, you're talking about maybe seeing who could be out the door in a trade other than, you know, possible surprises in the Jakob Silfberg and Andre Cash if you're trying to package them in a different deal. Nick Ritchie, I feel like, is the most logical option because if you had to pick a guy who wouldn't fit in a faster style, I, f- I feel like the easy go-to option is Nick Ritchie. And, you know, if you're going to bump him down to the fourth line, that's not going to necessarily help him. If you if you still yep. believe in the fact that he is a guy that could eventually get close to that potential you, we had pegged him as when they drafted him 10th overall, then playing him on the fourth line isn't going to help that. And you really can't you can't have him in San Diego. You know he's gonna have to go through waivers to come up and play for the Ducks. I I I, I don't think it's tough. I want to say I think it's gonna happen for sure, but I don't know because the Ducks do seem like they have some faith in him and that they they hope he can turn things around. Nobody wants to admit they're wrong. We talked about that earlier. Whether it's in a hiring uh, of a coach or if it's signing of a player or drafting a player, you don't want to admit you're wrong, but. At some point, you just have to move on. And, you know, even if they get some assets, whether it's draft picks or they get another struggling player in return or they get a prospect in return, I think it's at that point where you you move on from him and maybe you go get a player in free agency who you feel can help fit this new style of play that that you're you're looking to transition to in the beginning of this next season. Yeah, like we said, I mean, I think he's just definitely one to watch this summer. He could be one that's on the move. And, yeah, I mean, depending on how it shakes out, I mean, the Ducks should be able to keep uh, at least two of the three going back to Henrik, Silverberg, and Gibson. There may be a rub between Henrik or Silverberg, like you said. Um, I would think that they would lean a little bit more towards Henrik because the Ducks don't have as much depth at center. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you have Getzoff and Kessler, but then, you know, it, you know I don't think Vermette's coming back. He's still kind of a question mark at the exit interview. They, they said he was going to talk to his family. He wasn't sure what he was going to do. Um, you know, you do have Terry down there. You have Sam Steele. You, know, you have some players, you know, that you can, can kind of come up. But I think a lot of this equation, too, as far as moving forward and deciding how they're going to do things is, though, the playing time of the fourth line, Eddie. I mean, we talked about this. If you're if you're going to continue with this top nine, then there's no need to go get a whole lot of other players because you're going to have a fourth line that's only going to be playing five to seven minutes. But if the Ducks want to turn it around and they want to have a fourth line that's going to be playing, you know, 10 to 12, maybe 14 minutes – then maybe you do have Richie on that fourth line. You give him more of that time down there. Maybe you bring up a Steele or a Jones for a little bit throughout the season and let them play at that time. But I agree with you. I mean, if you're only 
playing that line five, seven minutes. I, I don't want Richie on that line. I don't want any of these young guys coming up because I think it's going to stunt their growth. I'd rather have them playing in the minors, getting more time and more experience. So that, to me, is a big decision that management's going to have to figure out is what are you going to do with that fourth line? Are you going to continue to roll the top three and not, not really care about that fourth line? Or are you going to try and do something to make – this team more balanced and, and like you had pointed out a three, a and a three B because that to me is really going to affect what the ducks are going to do is, is in terms of going out and getting other players or are they just going to bring up like they do people from the minors and just throw rotate people in there. I mean, you know, I'm pretty sure that they're not going to, uh, out of, uh, Chris Kelly, JT Brown, Jason Shamara, I'm pretty sure none of them will be back or you know, maybe one of them, but you know, those guys go, I mean, what does that leave you for that fourth line? I mean, I think that's part of the issue. Obviously, the money's tied up with the big three, of course, but something's got to be figured out. If they want that speed game, they want a more balanced attack, Eddie, that's the part I think that's tough, and that's why I kind of lean on Richie getting moved out because if they're going to try and make this team faster and have a quality fourth line, they need to do something. Yeah, and, and you know we'll get more clarity on what they're going to do, of course, um, at the draft if they end up making a trade, and especially in free agency when we find out who they're bringing back and who they're letting go. In my opinion, I, I think Antoine Vermet, Chris Kelly, JT Brown, and Jason Chimera are probably all gone. Yeah. Um, the only guy I could see of the UFAs that could come back is maybe Derek Grant. Uh, he could be a guy that they, they could plug in on the fourth line. They seem to like him a lot, and he was a guy that moved up and down the lineup, so he could be a guy I think could come back. But... That leaves nothing else on of fourth line forwards available. Of course, Nick Ritchie would be a guy who'd have to slot down there. So then you've got for fourth line forwards, you've got Nick Ritchie and Derek Grant, and that's it. So then it'll be up to what they do in free agency. You know, there's not a lot of guys necessarily out there for fourth line forwards that are, are super effective and guys you can rely on. I mean, there's some top end talent available, of course, in Rick Nash and Paul Statsny and John Tavares, of course, Evander Kane, James Neal. JVR, but I just don't think the Ducks get that done, especially only having $8 million in cap space, which is obviously enough to get a deal done, but any of these guys are going to want more than two years for a deal, and the Ducks just don't really have the flexibility to make that happen, of course, like I said, having to re-sign guys like Henrik, Silverberg, and Gibson in the near future. And then some of, you know, some of the guys available on the bottom end for forwards, you've got like Joel Ward, Michael Grabner, Yannick Hansen. You know, uh, those are guys I sarcastically brought up on Twitter. As <laughs> those are like Bob Murray type of guys. If he's going to add speed to this lineup, the go-to answer I feel like for him is just to go get the fastest players available and like Michael <laughs> Grabner and, and Yannick Hansen. Th- those are guys I don't think would work on the Ducks. But if that's the route he goes where he literally just wants to add fast players to the lineup, that could be something he does. And then, you know, there's obviously some names like Matt Calvert and Joe Colborn and, and Lee Stepniak. Chris Kunitz is available if he continues to come back next year. Eric Fair, who the Ducks had in San Diego for a bit and got burned by in the playoffs against San Jose. You know, there's, there's some fourth-line guys. Yeah, there's, there's some fourth-line guys out there, but... You know, if they don't end up signing those guys, I think that will signal that they're looking to, for these young guys to step up. That would be my my best option, I think. I would like to see Troy Terry, Sam Steele, and Max Jones get a, at least a couple games at the beginning of the season with the Ducks to see what they could do. We might see a couple signings in free agency where it's guys that uh, could be either a fourth-line forward or like a 13th forward. Maybe it's a couple two-way deals, some, something like that where... You know, we've got some cover just in case that doesn't work out. But the only way I want to see them up in the lineup is if Murray 
can actually get Carlisle to play this fourth line 10 to 14 yep. minutes a night. If you're going to have Troy Terry, Max Jones, Sam Steele, if you're going to have all of them, one of them, two of them, no matter what, if you're going to have any number of them up playing on that fourth line, they need to play more minutes or it's not worth it. They need to play meaningful hockey or you might as well just have them playing, you know, 18, 19 minutes a night down in San Diego because that's going to be a, a scary team to face this year or next year when you've got all three of those guys for sure either playing in San Diego or with the Ducks in Sam Steele and Max Jones and Troy Terry. I would love to see a fourth line of those three guys just to start the season, depending on, yep. of course, how they do in camp and whatnot. But, you know, Sam Steele at center with Max Jones on the left and Troy Terry on the right, you don't know how they're going to produce. And it's always tough throwing three kids, like, into it, you know, on the same line and hoping that they can produce. But, you know, you've got that little bit of leeway in the beginning of the season where, you know, you can throw them into a couple games and it doesn't necessarily count as a full year against them if they end up getting sent back down. So we'll see. We'll see what they, they end up deciding to do. Uh, I would go with the kids if they're going to play more. That That's my option. But free agency is going to be the big tell there. If the Ducks go out and get one of the, the bigger names I'd mentioned there to play on the fourth line, then we probably don't see the kids as often. But if they go out and they don't get anybody, uh, at least on the forward side, I, I think there's some changes they should do on defense. But we'll get, that, get to that in a bit. Uh, then we might see the kids. It really all comes down to that. And it seems like maybe not that Murray wants to necessarily play the kids, but that he definitely wants to bring some guys in on the fourth line and he wants to see that fourth line play more. Yeah, I I tell you, I, I would be super excited if that was, you know, yeah. Steel Jones and Terry. I mean, really? You're going to put them on the fourth line? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like when the Ducks, you know, go back to when they won the Cup and you had Perry and Getzloff on the fourth line. You yeah. know what I mean? And that, you know, eventually they became, you know, the leaders of the team. And, I mean, this is what you're looking at, those three guys. I mean, we've, we, you know, we've kind of tempered expectations, too, because you and I have talked about prospects and how everybody thinks all their prospects are really good and whatnot. But, obviously, those three – uh, you know, there's high expectations. So, I mean, I'm all for it because, you know, you just go to cap friendly and look at the numbers. It's, it's, there's not a lot of money there. There just isn't. And they're going to be able to do some stuff, you know, eight, nine million here. The cap goes up a little bit too. They'll have some things that they can do, but obviously then the next year, like we talked about with Gibson, Henrik and Silverberg, there's some issues. So to me, uh, if you're not going to go get some of those senior guys that Eddie talked about, you know, a Ward or Grabner or whatnot, I, I give those guys a chance and then put them on that line and and see what they can do. And uh, but only like Eddie said too, it's it's got to be meaningful hockey. It's got to be ten to you know thirteen, fourteen, fifteen minutes somewhere in there. I mean, if it's five to seven, that's a waste of time. They should be at San Diego and they should be doing what they got to do down there. So. That's something to consider. Um, you know, on the defense, we can talk about that too, Eddie. You know, I'd like to see Larson up there and see what he can yeah. do. Um, you know, with what's going on now, you've got VX's out. Boschman's gone, most likely, like we said, unless he comes back. So you've got Lindholm, Fowler, uh, Montour, Manson. So, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of the show on the forwards. But on the defense, it's the same kind of issue, Eddie. I mean, the Ducks can't just play four defensemen and and bury all the minutes on those guys. They've got the same thing. These teams that are doing well in the playoffs, you know, they're able to roll four forward lines, but they're able to roll three defensive pairings. Obviously, the third pairing isn't always the best, but the Ducks need to do something on that side too, Eddie. I mean, they got to try and figure it out because – um, you know, you we saw when Fowler went down, the Ducks were kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, screwed a little bit. We we saw, uh, especially on the power play, they got burned by the Sharks, uh, who had the number two power play. 
they couldn't get the defensive stuff going. They had a lot of two-on-ones. I know some people blame Gibson for some of the goals, which there were some, but there were a lot of odd man rushes too that did the Ducks in in that series. And you could tell that they missed Fowler because you're going out there and, and you can't try to win all these games putting all the minutes on three or four guys. Yeah, and defense, I think, is is where you can you have some flexibility to use that money and make some changes. You know, there's no real big names available other than John Carlson out of Washington. And, you know, unless the Ducks are going to use all of that $8 million to sign him, <laughs> there's there's no way they're going to get him. And you would assume the Capitals are going to be a team that's going to want to get him back. I mean, he's a guy who should have been nominated for the Norris this year. He had 67 points in 81 games. Almost played 25 minutes a night. He's been on fire for them in the playoffs. You know, he's making $4 million at the end of this season with his contract coming up. He's he's due for a big raise for sure. You know, that would be a guy you'd want to go for. I don't think the Ducks do, and there's no point, like I already said, using up all that money for a guy who's going to get probably about, you know, a five- or six-year deal, and uh, you have no money to sign the guys down the road. So then you look at some of the other options there. Um, if you're going to look at guys who could help this team the most outside of, of course, John Carlson in free agency, Mike Green would be a guy that would probably help the Ducks the most. He'd be a guy that could help with their power play a lot. Uh, probably the would be slotting in as the, I guess, the number one go-to guy for offense from the blue line for the Ducks, but I don't see it happening either. I mean, was, interestingly enough, Detroit didn't move him at the deadline, and, and now it looks like they're going to get nothing for him, which is insane. But he'll probably still command a decent amount of money, probably about $4 million. And you know, he is 32, but you're going to look probably at a two- or three-year deal. And um, it doesn't make sense for the Ducks at this point to go out and get him when you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. And you've already got a top four that's solidified. And he's probably not going to come over if you're going to play him in a bottom pairing. And you don't want to play another $4 million guy in a bottom pairing because you've all seen how that works out in Kevin Jackson. So... <laughs> I don't think that's the option. Then you got to look at some of the depth guys because there are some decent depth guys available. Anybody who's listened to me on this show when we've talked about free agents or even on Forever Money knows that uh, even at the deadline, I mean, we talked about it on the deadline show as well, as Ian Cole was a guy who wanted to come over to the Ducks at the deadline. That happened early on in our deadline show where he got moved right away pretty much to the Columbus Blue Jackets, deflated that pretty quickly. He's a guy that is a UFA uh, at the end of this season. I would still love him to come over to the Ducks and just play on the bottom pairing for Anaheim. You know, that would be a great signing, I think, for them. Then you could maybe pull one of the kids up in Jakob Larson or Andy Belinsky or Marcus Pedersen and play them with him. And at least you're playing them with an established NHL player. And uh, he's a guy I really, really think that could help Anaheim. He would be my go-to guy. If you're going to put any money, you can put about two and a half, maybe $3 million in a two million, a two-year, three-year deal on Ian Cole. Play him on your bottom pairing. He's won a cup with Pittsburgh. People love that. Bob Murray loves that. you got that leadership right there. So I think uh, he's a guy that could fit. As for other guys available, it drops off again. You've got maybe Brandon Manning as a guy you could go to if you're looking for more of that grit from Philadelphia. You've got Thomas Hickey and Calvin DeHaan as free agents from the New York Islanders you could maybe bring in on that bottom pairing. But that's where I think the Ducks can allocate some of their money because I, I don't necessarily want to go into the start of the season and just bank on the kids for that bottom pairing. I think it's okay to do that and maybe just acquire some cover for the fourth line and see how that works out. And then at least if that doesn't work out, you've got some guys in there. If you sign like one or two uh, fringe players to play in the fourth line, possibly guys that still fit the system, of course, 
but uh, you know, not necessarily are worrying too much if they're the 13th forward. But on defense, I think you've got to at least bring in one guy uh, for that bottom pairing to help out because we know the top four is going to be fine. And you yep. know, now we know that Fowler and Montour is a thing and it works. So we're going to see that if they're healthy at the beginning of next year. We're always going to see Lindholm and Manson. But, uh, you know, I like you said, I would like to see Jakob Larson, but I would also like to see uh, Ian Cole or one of those other guys as part of the mix to really solidify that depth on the blue line for Anaheim going into the start of the season. Yeah, I think that would be a win-win too. I mean, uh, especially Ian Cole uh, yeah. being the first choice, I agree with you. Um, if they got someone else too, I mean, it could work as well. But uh, I think you're right. On the defense, it's harder to put – you know, pressure on on two younger guys, and we saw that in the San Jose series. I mean, you you couldn't do it. The Ducks couldn't get that done on that bottom uh, three pairing, and obviously, you know, Bieksa came in there for you know a hot second. But um, I think you do got to get somebody like that, and then you can rotate in Peterson and Larson or Walensky. You know what I mean? Or, or if you do have to bring up another uh, guy from San Diego, but I think you're right. If you can bring in someone for a low cost deal. And also at the same time, kind of mentor those younger guys as well, because because you're right, the other pairings are really set now. I mean, we weren't really sure about Fowler and Montour at first. We're like, well, they both got speed, but are they going to play defense? Um, Montour's defense is still sometimes a little bit questionable. I mean, not necessarily his defensive play, but sometimes he he jumps into the uh, offense a little bit too much. But I mean, overall, he's still been doing very very well working out with Fowler they haven't been really getting burned that badly so it's been working and then of course Lindholm and Manson's been working as well so uh, I think that's the thing you got to do you can't just go with two really young guys paired together uh, on, a, on a defensive pairing uh, I mean you can but not for a long period of time and I think that's the, the, the issue and I think you're right that that's how they can kind of work that out now you know going back to the forwards and offense well yeah the fourth line you can kind of do whatever you want and that all depends on on the minutes but for defense I don't want to see the Ducks put so much time on those other guys on Mantor, uh, Montour uh, Fowler Lindholm and Manson so I, I think that's the way you do it. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the status of the team right now with all the updates. We've kind of gone through, um, you know, a lot of the fan questions about everything. I guess really the biggest thing is is this summer we're going to, uh, of course, do what Eddie and I always do is uh, we'll have some shows throughout the summer every maybe couple weeks or I, I don't know. We're going to have to try and figure it out It'll just see how everything goes. But we'll definitely be talking about the draft and how that's going to affect the Ducks. And if you don't like what Murray does at the trade deadline, I don't blame you, but at least he does do a plenty of stuff at the, at the draft. You know, he's always talking, working things. So, um, we'll, and we talked about maybe having Thomas on the show because, you know, he does a lot of the goals and the prospects for us. So what do you think about this draft, Eddie? I mean, it's kind of interesting. You've got a first round that's going to be, you know, maybe the, the first 10 or 12, pretty solid. But uh, you've been looking at this a little bit more than I have. And it kind of seems like it could be kind of a crazy draft the way it's going to work out. Like, you know, where are the Ducks going to be at? And, and what do you think as far as the way the picks are going to go? And, you know, if the Ducks don't obviously bring in uh, stuff in free agency or trade out players that way, what do you think that they could do with, you know, the given situation they uh, have right now at the draft? Yeah, the, the funny quote I got, and I, I believe it was from Eric Stevens' article. It might have been from Mike Coppin's article because I get them mixed up. But there was a quote that uh, Murray had said that Dale Talon, the GM of the Florida Panthers, had called him and was talking about how his pick looks so much better than Murray's pick because the Panthers, I believe, are picking 
15th in the draft because they just missed the playoffs and the Ducks end up getting swept in the first round and are picking seven or eight picks lower at 23rd. So, you know, <laughs> it's it's just a little bit funny just seeing that and, and the little bit of banter they have there. But where the Ducks will be drafting, right now they sit 23rd. And that's where they'll stay if San Jose and Pittsburgh don't make it to the conference finals. It's, it's a little bit interesting the way the positioning works. Uh, if San Jose and Pittsburgh or one or the other makes it to the conference finals, they automatically get dropped down to a lower pick of one of the, the uh, last four picks in the draft. Um, so then the Ducks could move up to either 22nd if only one of them makes it that far. If both of them make it that far, the Ducks could jump all the way up to 21st. It's not a, a huge jump. There's not a lot of wiggle room there. They're either going to be picking 21, 22, or 23. So you're going to get a lot of the same guys available. I mean, if you want something to root for in the playoffs right now, maybe <laughs> root for... I know you don't want the Sharks to win the Stanley Cup, and some people don't want to see the Penguins have a three-peat, but if you want the Ducks to have as high a possible draft pick they can get, you want San Jose and Pittsburgh to make the conference finals. So looking at who is available at that point, there's a lot of defensemen and wingers throughout the first round of this draft. The, the top-end centers are all going to go, I think, Probably in the top 15, you're looking at guys like Brady Kachuk, uh, Joe Valeno, Isaac Lindstrom, Rasmus Kupari. Those are really, you know, Ryan McLeod, he might be available there. But those are really the only top-end centers and guys that could project as playing center in the National Hockey League that are available. So the Ducks are probably going to have to go defense or wing. We know from the past the Ducks like to draft the best guy available. So I picked out a couple names uh, it doesn't mean they're going to draft them, but the, the, these are guys who are probably going to be available around there. The draft is interesting this year because there's a lot of parity pretty much outside the top 10 and the top 15 where you'll see some guys ranked at you know around 17 on one draft board, and then another they're ranked around 35 to 40. So there's a lot of wiggle room and a lot of guys moving up and down. The first guy I picked, because I think the Ducks should focus on forward, and if they can focus on center, a little bit biased here because I am, uh, as some of you know, doing an internship with the Niagara Ice Dogs this summer. <laughs> so Akil Thomas from the Niagara Ice Dogs is a guy that should be available for the Ducks at 21, 22, or 23. He's a guy that can play center and the wing, and he kind of fits the style of player the Ducks have been going after where he's a, he's a, a very quick player, and he's a smart player offensively. He's a guy that makes a lot of plays. He runs the offense for Niagara. And he's adept in his own end. You know, he can he can make plays happen in his own end and he can, can transition the puck quickly and control the play on the offensive side of the puck. So he's a guy the Ducks could go. He's a guy that probably projects as a winger in the National Hockey League, but I like the fact that, you know, he can play center as well. There's always the chance that he can possibly play center. But you never know with these smaller kids. Uh, he's 5'11". Borderline, I think, is a guy that might project as a center in the National Hockey League. And I know it's moving to a smaller game, but you still see, generally, the guys who play center at an elite level are at least six foot, six one, six two, right? I think you need to be a little bit of a bigger guy to compete in the National Hockey League at center. It doesn't mean he can't do it, but he's a guy the Ducks could go for. Uh, another one that I was looking at, as, as I already mentioned, was Rasmus Kupari. If he's available, he's a guy the Ducks should definitely get Pretty much every draft board I've looked at has him going at least around the 20th pick. So if he fell farther enough for the Ducks, uh, he's a guy I think they have to go in. Probably that would fall right under Murray's draft the best player available uh, if he was there. He's a guy that plays center in the Finnish league. 
a guy that pretty much only plays center. Um, you know, I, I think that's the best option for the Ducks if he's there. The third option I had uh, was a guy that's kind of all over the place. And there's been a lot of people, including Corey Proberman, who have been very high on this kid. Uh, his name's Dominic Bach. He's a, a German national, and he plays with the Vaxio Lakers in the Swedish Elite League. He's been playing with one of the best players outside the NHL this year, and Elias Peterson, who's a prospect for the Vancouver Canucks. And he's done great. And he's a guy that can play on either side, on the left or right. Uh, and he, he looks like one of those guys. You, you always look for that prospect every year who started off where you really didn't hear much about him. Then he kind of projected in the third round. Then he started getting projected in the second round. And then you started seeing him maybe get projected late first round. And some people have him as high as 15. Some people have him close to the top 10. You kind of look for those guys because they've just gotten better and better all season. Uh, and, and those are the types of guys you look to, to maybe steal late in the first round. So if he's available, that'd be a guy I'd like to see the Ducks get. Uh, they do need to stock up a bit on the wing, and it's always nice to see a guy who can play on the left or the right. And the last one for me, if the Ducks want to go defense, I think you would agree with me on this. You know, If you were to look at what they're missing on the blue line right now, it's a guy with just raw offensive talent. You know, a guy, a power play quarterback, a guy, you know, we kind of expected Brandon Montour to be that type of guy, but he's molded more in, in a two-way guy. We don't really have that guy who can get 50 points, you know, 50, 60 points on the blue line consistently and be a threat on the power play. Now, this is probably the biggest enigma at the draft. Ryan Merkley <laughs> out of uh, the Guelph Storm in the OHL. He's a guy that if you're just going off his offensive talent, would probably be a lock for the top 10 pick. Some people early on had him in the top five just because of his offensive ability. I mean, he, he's probably the guy out of the defensemen available who has the highest offensive upside, uh, and he probably has the, the best hockey sense out of most of the defensemen available. But his defensive side of the game lacks, and that's that's very concerning in, you know when you're looking at the fact that he, he really doesn't backcheck that hard in the OHL he he forces uh sorry he creates a lot of turnovers you know when you're looking at that in junior that doesn't bode well for what he could do in the national hockey league you know you can always figure out the defensive side of the game especially when a guy matures he's a little bit smaller at 511 so it it's tough to think you know i always look at a guy that's come out there that had a lot of hype around his offensive ability and Ryan Murphy who Carolina drafted him and uh, he just didn't turn out, and he really has struggled to make it to the National Hockey League. So you, you're, this is a high-risk, high-reward draft for the Ducks, but if they're looking to go defense, I think the Ducks have the ability to, to try and risk swinging for the home run, and then maybe it doesn't turn out. You know, I, I feel like this is the guy you go for. He does have some off-ice issues as well, but you know, those are things that can be fixed with maturity and just get it, you know, once he gets drafted, just getting the right guys in front of him. I mean, who better to stick in front of a kid who's having some issues defensively, having some issues off the ice than Scotty Niedemeyer, right? I mean, yeah, I feel like that would be the best for him. If he, he's a guy, again, like I said, that at one point was projected to go top five and reminds me a bit of Maxim Comtois last year where he was originally projected to go middle of the first round and slipped to the second round. And now look at the season he's had this year. And he's really shown that he, he deserved to go in the first round, and the Ducks essentially stole him in the middle of the second round. So this is a guy the Ducks could look to go for if they're going to go on defense because he's really that piece they're missing on their blue line of a guy who has some pure offensive talent. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, it, that's what the you know the defense needs is someone like that. You know, they don't the Ducks really haven't had like a Brent Burns type person or a Subban type person that can get in there and really help out on the the offensive part of the special teams or you know just even um, uh, five on five situations. So I agree with you. I mean, there's something to be said for that. If the Ducks can go out. And you know Murray does that kind of stuff at the trade, or uh, excuse me, at the draft, uh, not the trade deadline. At the, you know he goes in the draft there, and he'll um, pick up some sleepers like that, like you talked about. Sometimes he gets these guys that uh, late first round pick or early second or third round pick, and um, you know that are guys that turn out. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, we're going to have a more detailed show, obviously, and as it gets closer to that time, see if anything else changes in the meantime, uh, see who's going to replace Trent Yanni. We don't know about that yet. That should be coming out. And, um, you know, the, 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 I guess really to wrap up the show, the big positive thing, Eddie, is at least the Ducks are going to be healthy going into the next season. Yeah. Um, you, you know, yeah, you still have the same coach. You have the same GM. If you want either one of them to be gone, that's pretty much not going to happen. So that's that's the bad part. But you've got this team that's going to be healthy. Eves is coming back. Um, still a good team. Uh, you know, I think a lot of what Eddie and I talked about on this show is 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 trying to fine tune the uh, the bottom parts of the team, the the fourth line and then the third line on defense. And I really think, you know, it's kind of the theme of the show is is how the Ducks are going to do if they're going to improve this speed game and they want to play better overall um, offense and defensively. They they need a complete team and they're going to have to figure that out. The big question is just going to be the money, Eddie. And um, they're going to have to go from there. I mean, like we said, maybe bring up some of the kids or get a couple uh, additions of free agency. Uh, we'll have a show talking about that, too, obviously, because, you know, the summer is pretty dead. So with the draft and free agency, those will be a couple of the shows that we'll have coming up. But uh, I, I still have faith in this team, Eddie. I still think they can do uh, fine. I, I, I don't think the question is the regular season. I mean, we've seen this team uh first place you know four or five seasons in a row second place i mean you've seen them in the top of the pacific i i'm never really worried about the ducks i i just think that they kind of play with everybody's emotions because they they have the slow starts in october november december they turn it on the second half and then we get disappointed come april may so i i think if they can maybe do some of those depth adjustments then then maybe we won't be disappointed come april and may in the future seasons yeah, I, I think this team, and, and we had, I had already mentioned in the show that you know, on paper they're still a good team. Even if they go in with what they have right now, they're still a good team. And, you know, the, the big thing I'm looking for is, based off Murray's comments, how they're going to change this style. You know, that's yep. that's going to be the thing I'm looking for out of the gate game one of the season, and even in preseason if we can see some of it there, where is this team going to look any different? And, and, and if they do look different, is it going to work or is it going to backfire? Because, you know, they have the talent on the ice to still compete for a playoff spot and do well and get into the playoffs. But, you know, they were exposed this year for being a slower team and playing an out-of-date style. And I, I, I honestly don't see how that changes. I'm still optimistic, despite the fact I don't believe it changes, that the Ducks can do well. But, you know, competing for a cup, I just don't think you can do it playing the style they currently play. You know, they, they can still upset a couple teams just because of raw skill. They're going to need some things to go their way, and they're going to need to figure out offense and specifically the power play as well because they were awful again this year. You know, it's hard to win meaningful games when your goal scoring plus your power play are in the bottom third of the league. I mean, there, there's not much you can do. I mean, the, these this is a team who should be scoring goals on a regular basis when you've got guys like Ricard Raquel, Corey Perry, 
Ryan Getzlaff, Ryan Kessler, Adam Henrique. You've got these guys in the lineup. You should be scoring more goals than they have. So that that's the big question mark for me is, is can Carlisle change? And if he doesn't, how quick is he out the door if the Ducks are struggling? And with that, I mean, we're going to wrap up the show. Those are all the key issues. We've kind of broke down uh, the season and, you know, where we're going to go from here. Like I said, we'll have a couple shows coming up. Uh, if you like uh, what we've been doing, you know, and also we're, we're going to be working on the website, doing some other stuff to kind of uh, improve in the off season and, and whatnot. So stay tuned for that. But uh, if you want to help us out, we have a, a website called patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Ducks and Pucks. You can um, donate on there, um, get a shout out on the show, or give away some uh, items, uh, either uh, towels, stickers, t-shirts, whatnot. So look for that, and we'll see you probably in a couple weeks. Let's go Ducks. <laughs>